you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, I did not mention this earlier, but my name's Tim. I'm the location pastor. If I haven't met you before, man, I'd, I'd love to meet you after this. And just a small reminder, uh, there is an Easter egg hunt right after church this morning. And so before that, at 1230, is uh, lunch for all who want to hang out um, and serve and uh, just hang out. So uh, feel free to stick around after service today, and I'll try to preach on time so y'all can get to lunch, because I know not to get in front of people and their food. You know, I just don't do that. We're in the book of Ephesians going through a series on, uh, going through a series on peace, and the last several weeks, uh, Pastor Eric has just been killing it and challenged me personally through this series to really examine, when I say peace, do I really believe that? Like, do I, do I, do I have peace as we look at the reality that God has designed a pathway uh, to, to wholeness and a pathway where we can be complete. And in, that, in the presence of Christ, there is peace. And it has been an incredible blessing to me personally as we jump into the book of Ephesians. We're looking at the truth about having peace with God. Now, this week, uh, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus was entering into uh, the city of Jerusalem. He was entering into what is known as the Passion Week, and everyone was proclaiming that he was uh, salvation that has come. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Salvation has come. That, that, That there was finally a way that they saw peace, but a way that they did not see completely, or rather the reality of peace as it was lived out was very different than the idea that they had. Uh, about 45 or 50 years later, the church at Ephesus was in a very similar situation, uh, that they understood they had the teaching of the gospel that Israel did not have that was welcoming Jesus, but they had a more, they had a more uh, 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 complete uh, explanation of the gospel through their pastor, Timothy, of all people, who was mentored by Paul, who had preached the gospel and kind of helped plant this church. But the reality of peace in that congregation did not live out to its, uh, to its intention that God has designed peace to have in a congregation. In fact, they found themselves a little bit divided, even divided on things about the gospel. Can you believe church people being divided about things about church? Huh, right? I can never imagine that. But the Ephesians were there, so we'll try to relate a little bit to them, right? Like, of course we can imagine that. Like, nowadays in culture, we're divided over just about anything you can possibly be divided about, aren't we? Like, some of them are completely harmless, right? Like, uh, do we have any Packers fans? Yeah, do we have any Bears fans, Chicago Bears? See, right there, y'all. Come on now. You can love each other because of Jesus, right? Or uh, maybe if you're of an older crowd, maybe like uh, Arnold Palmer versus Jack Nicholas. like who in the world would ever win that? Or maybe uh, if you're in the military, like you're in the Air Force and uh, you're in a different branch that actually does something. And so there's like... <laughs> That was funny, right? Wasn't that funny? See what I did there? Boom. It's so easy every time. And so, you know, there's this massive division. It's easy to be divided. And some of those things are innocent 
of course. The Air Force does things. No one knows, but I mean, I'm sure they do somewhere. And uh, uh, those are some innocent things. And then there's some, like, actual deep, deep divides in our country and in our culture, aren't they? Are they not? In fact, you um, bring those things into church, don't you? If we were being honest and you were allowing the Lord to x-ray your heart and maybe throw it up on a screen, how scary would that be? It might be something commonly in church like, well, I'm young and they're old. Or, I'm black and they're white. Or, I'm Republican and they're Democrat. Or, I read one book on Reformed theology, therefore I'm Reformed, and they have not. And we camp into the, we, 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 we sit into these camps based on the divisions that we make, whether we knew it or not, however we were raised, that we have allowed to intersect and intercede in our hearts. And the gospel gives us an identity that's even above that. But we don't just do that as a congregation and corporately. We also do that individually, don't we? I bet there are those in here today who would say that I'm set apart and can't be like others because I have divorce as a part of my past or even a present thought. No one can understand me. Or maybe you're in here today and you're defining your relationship with Christ by the fact that you looked at porn last night and you're having a hard time with that. Or maybe you're in here today and you would say, Tim, I feel like I've been living a lie. No one can understand me. And so what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians is helping the Ephesians understand that the gospel that they believed doesn't just save them, but it defines every single reality of their life. That it now is the identity that goes above all identities, that now defines everything about you. And that if you're in here and you are sitting in a cesspool of self Sorrow, you can tell I've been listening to Pastor Eric, right? That you are sitting in a cesspool of self sorrow and dividing yourself over something that you can see or feel. I have good news for you. The gospel has something to say to you, God has something to say to you, His word has something to say to you today to free you and give you peace in the middle of that. You see, the Ephesians. We're entering into a relationship with God, and God had designed his people to be a channel of blessing to the nations. Y'all remember some of the very last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven? He told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. For behold, I'm with you always, even until the ends of the age. That, that great commission wasn't just something brand new. It was what God had intended for his people from all time. That in the Old Testament, God's people were not intended to be a sitting uh, a retention pond of God's blessings that nobody else got a part of, but rather to be a channel through which God's blessings flow. And now we, as God's New Testament people, we now are a channel of grace toward others, of peace toward others that God blesses. But here's what happens when we camp in those, uh, when, we, when we place ourselves in those camps divided by what we can see and feel, we're no longer a channel. We're not even a, re, uh, a, a retention pond. We, we do become a cesspool, don't we? 
how many of you have ever seen a retention pond that you would just love to go drink from? In fact, if so, there's one right outside. I would love afterwards just to watch you do that and then just see what happens, you know? Whatever, I'll just watch. But the reality is, you know, like, no, no one would actually do that because you know what happens when something just sits and absorbs all the garbage that's put into it from the washout around it? It stinks. It grows mold. Like, it might have life if somebody else puts life into it, but even that gets corrupt. Huh, I love to fish. I'm not, I'm not frying anything that comes out of that retention pond, right? Because you just know you're going to die, right? And that's the truth of the reality of where the Ephesians were and where you and I get when we don't realize that we've been designed to be a channel of God's grace and, and, and allowing it to flow out of us, but instead we divide in our camp and well, we begin to surround ourselves with people like us and we begin to gather around us those who think like us and talk like us and really we begin to look down on others who aren't like us and now the gospel is going to speak into that and cut straight through all of that because of what Christ has done. You see, that's what Paul is going to do for the church at Ephesus and now that's what God, hopefully through his word, is going to do for us today. But the gospel brings wholeness and health to all who believe. That he does that both for you individually and for everyone corporately, that we would be a channel and vessel of grace to everyone around us and to the nations. In fact, if you don't write down anything else today, write down that statement and then you can check out and eat pizza after, after the service. That the truth is that the gospel brings peace and wholeness to all who believe. And how we're defining that peace and wholeness is that he brings that to us both individually and corporately. And that's what Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is going to say to us this morning. So without further ado, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11, what Paul does to help them understand that God saved them for the purpose of being a vessel of grace to everyone around them as he begins to lay the foundation by helping them remember the gospel. When was the last time, just out of curiosity, you sat just to remember the gospel? Like, just to think about it. To remember who you are or who you were or who you would have been apart from Christ. You see, whether you've been saved since you were seven and you don't really remember a life apart from Christ, or whether you were saved seven days ago and you remember exactly what life is like apart from Christ, this passage is going to describe who you are apart from Christ in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. In fact, look at how Paul begins to remind them of who they were apart from Christ. Paul writes, Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. All right, so we're going to get kind of tricky in some terms here, and we're going to giggle in our, with our inner 12-year-old here, but it means to be a Gentile in the flesh. But what it means is that you were marked as someone who was not of the people of God, or rather, you had not received the outward mark of someone who was of the people of God. He says this, uh, called the uncircumcision. In your translation, it's probably 
and quotes, or called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, is all in quotes. And so here's what Paul, what was going on in the, in the Ephesian church. The uncircumcision was a derogatory term that those who were of the circumcision, historically God's people, called outsiders who were not like them. Oh, those are just the Gentiles. Those are a different group. We are marked above them. And that was creeping into the church. And so Paul begins to shake them in verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time, when you were like that, when you were marked as a Gentile in the flesh, when that thing was your primary identity, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, Christ is a term, a messianic term. It means Messiah, that the Old Testament promised a Messiah who would come, that this New Testament term, Christ, encompasses. The Christ is the, uh, the, 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 the Messiah, king, priest, the one who would come and reign over all things, the one who would come and rule over all things as king, and the one who would stand and represent God to the people and the people to God. And Paul reminds them, listen, when you were your primary identity, something other than Christ, you were completely defenseless against anything that had to do with sin. You had no savior, you had no king, you had no priest. And then he continues on, not only were you defenseless, but he continues on, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were separated completely from anything that looked like God's people. Now, if you're a historical Jew in the room, and if so, I'd love to meet you afterwards because we're all a bunch of Gentiles, most likely. But if you're a historical Jew in the room, you're like, ha, I'm part of Israel. Oh, you wait. It's going to get you in just a minute. This passage gets everybody. But for most people in Ephesus that were reading this, they were historically not Jewish. And so they would not have been associated with the promises of God, the word of God, and the people of God. And Paul reminds them, listen, you're separating yourselves by things, but don't you remember that all of you were separated apart from Christ? You were completely alienated. You were, you were homeless of all things. So not only were you defenseless, you didn't have a Messiah, you were homeless. You didn't belong to any of anywhere that was God's people. And then he continues on. He says, you were uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Covenants of promise were the uh, words and promises, the commitments that God had to those who were his to help them out. And it was a two-way relationship. You follow me, I bless you. You don't follow me, I squash you in wrath. That's the Old Testament. And the New Testament, look at Revelation, Jesus squashes everyone who does not follow him. But here's my point. Paul is saying, listen, you... You had nothing at all to offer. In fact, summary statement here in verse, uh, at the end of verse 12. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. And then look at verse 13. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. My friends, this is the gospel 
entering into a lost life. This is your testimony. That at one time, you were separated from Christ. You had no Savior. You were full of sin, whether it was manifest in things that were seen as evil or things that were just kind of gray. You were separated from Christ. You had no Savior. You had no king who could rule. You had no priest who could stand before you and God, and you stood all in and of yourself, standing for your own sin before God. And that's a problem, because God's holy and you are not. Not only were you separated from God, but on top of that, you were an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. You were not a part of God's people. There was no way to earn it, no way to get in, in and of yourself, and yet you were separated completely from him. You had nothing to offer. And then on top of that, you, not just the Ephesians, but you, apart from Christ, were strangers to the promises of God. There was nothing within you that thought as walking on yourself, you know what, I'm doing bad, I need to claim the promises of God by myself. And then what happened in your life as you're thinking about the gospel entering into your world? There came a moment, whether you heard it for the first time or you had heard the the gospel a thousand times before that, there came a moment where God interceded and he brought you near and he did that through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. And so Paul begins to address their division by saying, remember the gospel? Like, All of you were separated from God. It wasn't one versus the other. It was everyone versus God, and God wins every single time. You were separated because of your sin, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then look at how he continues to explain this in verses 14 through 17. He expands this thought even more, and he says, For he himself is our peace. Have you ever seen two kids fight? I saw it all the time. I'm one of four boys. I saw it all the time. Or you've ever seen two grown people that act like kids fight, right? Maybe you see it all the time. I don't know. But I remember whenever me and my brothers fought, and I always won. At least, you don't know my brother, so whatever, like, it's my story, I always won, and so, that's not true, I was number three, Chris beat up Josh, Josh beat up me, if I tried to beat up Jacob, Chris the oldest took his side, so it's like, I just got the wrong end of the video, that's not the point, but the point is this, when me and my brothers were fighting, it didn't matter, we were both in the wrong, even if the fight started, because only one of us was in the wrong, but when dad stepped in, we were both on the losing side. And he brought peace. Husbands and wives, you know this. You can be right but wrong at the top of your lungs, can't you? And it doesn't matter why the argument started. That at some point, you're both now wrong about this. And you need someone to intercede and bring peace. And this is the illustration that Paul gives. He says, here's what happened. You were brought near to Christ. You, like... You didn't come near to him. He brought you near to him. He came to you and brought you to him. And when he stepped in, your life was chaos. And now he is your peace. And now he continues on talking about what that looks like. For he himself is our peace who made us both 
one and has broken down in the flesh of his body the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul begins to tell the Ephesians, listen to me, you cannot divide yourselves because God put both of you on the losing side. He made peace with all of you and now you are all one in him because of the gospel. That the gospel brings peace and wholeness to all who believe. This is really, really good news for every person in this room if you have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because what Paul's going to do next in verses 18 through, uh, in verses uh, 19 through 22, is show us now how remembering the gospel and and, uh, rehearsing it for the Ephesians now changes how they see themselves and how they ought to see one another. Now, before we get into that, let's pause for a second and ask the question, based on the gospel, how now ought you to think about yourself? What view does that change of who you are? Did you know um, that I don't preach to you as often as somebody else does? And you're thinking, oh, Pastor Eric, no. Pastor Eric doesn't preach to you as often as somebody else does. And you're thinking, oh, here we go, like making fun of cable news. Yeah, I do. But like, no, they don't preach to you as often as somebody else does. And you're a kid in here and you're thinking, you don't know my parents, like they preach to me often. Like, no, there's somebody else that preaches to you more often than your parents do, more often than TV and society and culture and the man or whoever, that, like, like more often than all of those things. And if you are uh, under somebody else's authority, you're having them in mind right now, they yell at me all the time. No, there's somebody who talks to you more than that person. Do you know who talks to you more than anybody else in this world? You do. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Right? You talk to yourself in your car with the windows up on the way home. I know you do. Because I do. Or maybe I'm just weird, right? Who's the one talking to yourself as you lie in bed at night thinking about the day before or of that thing last year or of that thing when you were a teenager and just, gosh, I'm an can't believe I did that, man. Who's the one who is speaking to yourself, who is preaching to yourself as you are parenting kids who just don't seem to get it right again? Like, who's the one who, after you and your spouse part ways to cool off and you begin to talk in your mind over and over, man, that's, that's, you're talking to yourself. Or who's the one that 
is in bed with you speaking in those midnight moments of despair when you're wondering why I'm still single? Or like, why did this happen? Or why didn't this happen? Or why isn't this happening? Or why hasn't that happened? And if we're being honest, I want you to know, maybe you're different than like everyone else in here, right? So for you, that one person, don't listen. But for everybody else in this room, I know that we struggle with speaking to God. We know we ought to, but instead we're just speaking to ourselves over and over and over and over. Am I talking to anybody in the room this morning? And so what happens is Paul begins to help them see how does the gospel now affect how you ought to think about yourself individually, how you ought to preach to yourself. And here's what he does. He says that when division messes with your mind, you preach the gospel. That's what he's going to do. In fact, look at how he, what he does here in verse 19. He says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He begins to tell them, listen, you were like that, but now you are a fellow citizen and you are a member of the household of God. You listen to me. When you begin to have the thought of division enter your mind, when you begin to see others in the church or others in our community that you immediately assess because you are white and they are black or because you are Republican and they are Democrat or independent or whatever Bernie ends up being because you are uh, because you are uh, I have no idea the divisions that we make in our life when you see them you begin to preach the gospel to yourself and say no 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 What I'm doing right now, what I'm doing right now is making a division based on a human thing that I see when the reality is that person in this church who is a follower of Christ has also been reconciled just as I have been. And I will not allow something else to divide me and my brother or sister in Christ. When you sit at home and you begin to recall those things of your former life. Or you begin to relate to Paul and say, goodness gracious, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. And the things I know I should do, I never do. What in the world do I do? When you begin to get into that time where you're recalling again, why did I fail again and again? You preach the gospel to yourself. No, 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 no. I am not separated from, I am not separated from Christ anymore. I am not a stranger to the promise of Israel. I am not apart from the covenant of God's people. I have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I am a citizen uh, with the saints and a member of the household of God. In fact, look at verse 20. I have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You preach to yourself, I used to be like that, but I'm telling you what, right now who I am, I am a member of God's family because of Jesus Christ. You preach that over and over and over again because you talk to yourself more than anybody 
else. And you preach it until you know it, until you hear it, and until you tell it to others that I am a member of the household of God. You preach the gospel. But this doesn't just have personal implications. This has corporate implication as well. All of us all together. In fact, Paul kind of changes or continues on verse 21 here. He says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's about to get real because he's going to take us as individuals and then say, actually, God is doing something in all of us together at once. That when we allow, when we see division messing with our members, we preach the gospel. Look what Paul does here. He says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, verse 22. In him, you, so like y'all, right? Like you plural, like y'all. In him, y'all are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That we as individuals, as we are pursuing Christ, and we preach the gospel to ourselves to remember that we were like we're thinking, but God has made us different. That as we do that individually, corporately, all together, we are preaching the gospel as a group of people that are being made into a place where God dwells. If you've believed in Jesus. So what do we do with this? Well, we take some time, just like Paul was encouraging the Ephesians to do, to remember the gospel, look at its implications for us individually, and begin to look at its implications for us corporately. So that's what we're going to do. In fact, let's go into a time of praying and allowing the Lord to search our hearts Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm pretty sure the AC stopped working or something, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, may I ask you a question? Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Man, if... If your identity, the thing that defines your life, is something other than Christ, you need to seriously answer that question. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Has he completely changed you so that though you may struggle with the things of this world, the conquering identity that surpasses all things is Christ in you? If you haven't, I'm not asking you, have you mentioned church platitudes at some point to someone else? I mean, like, if you have never really, truly 
submitted your life to Christ, why don't you make today that day? I know the internal conversation. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it next time. Or I, I mean, maybe um, I'll just try to be better. You know, I'll try to be better. I don't really want to deal with that right now. And I, I want you to know that this passage is very different for you if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, that you're still, and you're still separated from him. You're still an alien to God's people. You don't belong. You're still a stranger to the covenants of promise. All the things that God promises his people don't apply to you if you don't believe in Jesus. In fact, you're still responsible for your sin before God. Because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That today, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ to be saved, he promises that if you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and he is just and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible word for all means all, everything, all unrighteousness, not held against you anymore. Sin separated, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. That he not only separates you from your sin, but then if you confess your sin and believe on Jesus Christ to be saved, he removes the penalty of sin because he paid for it and he gives you his holy, blameless, beyond reproach standing in him. That you're no longer a stranger and an alien and alone, but rather you are now one with Christ. He brings you near to him. And now you're a part of God's people because God is the central thing to God's people. Now you are a part of God's promises because God is the central thing to God's promises. That now you are a, you are a part of Christ and his, prom, and his life that he gives because Christ, God is the center of life in Christ. So if you've never confessed your sin and believed on Jesus Christ, why don't you in this moment just pray something like this? Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And he'll agree with you. And then you tell him, I believe that you died for my sin. And we're raised to life. And he'll say, yes, I did. Then you ask him, God, would you forgive me of my sin? And he'll say, I sure will. And then you say, God, would you help me to live a life that honors you? And he says, man, I've been waiting to help you with that the whole time. 
And if today you, by the Spirit, whether it was the first time you heard that or the thousandth time, submitted your life to Christ. We're going to have some people up front in just a second. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to talk with you about that, kind of talk about some next steps. It's not scary. That usually just looks like some coffee or I buy you lunch, right? So like free lunch, you know, but that's not what we're going after here. For everybody else, we're going to take this last closing song and maybe you just need to rehearse the gospel. Like maybe division has been messing with your mindset that you can't even look at another group of people even within the church. And immediately in your heart and in your mind see yourselves as superior to them. And maybe right now you need to rehearse the gospel Preach it to yourself and have a beautiful moment of reconciliation, of allowing God to change your heart. And as we do that, here's what God does. We are a place where he, his spirit dwells. So that being said, let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for being so good to us. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and our King, our priest. God, I ask that during this time you would give us the courage and conviction to respond to you appropriately. Lord, we need you. We love you. I pray that as we respond and as we prepare our tithes and offerings, that, Lord, you would bless every act of worship, both as we respond to you and as we give, that you would bless every act of worship to honor Jesus Christ and his name and his faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being our king. It's in your name we pray.